Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves. Do you want to know how to better study God's Word? Then participate in one of our free online workshops or join one of our online Bible studies. There are tons of times and options to choose from. Head to our website to register now at www.preceptministries.ca. On our website, you can also get connected to our social media pages and join our email list to stay updated on the many things God is doing through Preset Ministries. We want to hear from you. If you have been impacted by these podcasts or another area of Preset Ministries Canada, then we want to know. Email us your testimonies to info at preceptministries.ca. We can't wait to hear about how God is working in your life. Now, stay tuned for Unlocking the Truth, a study in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Hello, everyone. This is Unlocking the Truth podcast, another episode uh, coming to you over the internet. Mark Sheldrake with you, National Director of Precept Ministries here in Canada. So excited to be digging into First Thessalonians. Uh, we have a workshop that we run, uh, run all across Canada. We've been doing a lot of it online since March in the beginning of this pandemic. Essentials of Inductive Bible Study, where we pull apart First um, Thessalonians chapter 1. A lot of great stuff in this book, uh, a lot of great content, some red flags that will come up, but uh, what we want to do this week is uh, episode one, just walking through the overview, so let's commit our time to the Lord. Father, we do thank you uh, for uh, the your scriptures, for this letter from Paul to the, to the church in Thessalonica. Father, we pray that as we look through um, verse by verse, chapter by chapter over the next number of weeks heading into September, that this would be an opportunity for us to evaluate our lives and look at where we are at in our ministry, um, in our life, um, in comparison to both the church and to Paul, Lord. So, Father, guide our time uh, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so here we go. Um, Really a great letter. I can't say that enough. There is so much in here, so much powerful stuff. Uh, This church is an example for us as believers. I wanted to start with um, just kind of the history and the background of this letter. First, letting us, we'll go through, and we know just right from chapter one that Paul is the main uh, writer of this letter, Sylvanus and Timothy. Uh, We'll look at them in just a few minutes. Um, But I wanted to start in Acts chapter 17. And so way back in Acts chapter 17 is where we have the planting of this church. And so Paul has, uh, he's on his second missionary journey at this point. And if you read through Acts chapter 16, you'll see that there's a lot of um, persecution towards him coming up. He's been arrested. He's on his travels and and uh, things are not getting uh, any better for Paul. But now he's come to um, 
uh, Thessalonica. And so if you start in chapter 17, verse 1, it starts with the word, um, now when they. So you've got three words there, now when they. So you have to ask yourself, who are the they? And so you go back through, reading back through chapter um, 16, and you'll come to um, about verse 28 is where we can look. And Paul's in prison, but it says in verse 28 of chapter 16, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, do not harm yourself, we're all here. So this is this great um, moment of escape from uh, prison for Paul, but he he hangs around and ends up um, uh, preaching the gospel to the to the jailer, and the jailer is saved and baptized. Um, but he also we also see another name in verse twenty nine. Uh, it says he called he called for the lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. Uh, he fell down. That's the jail guard fell down before Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas, also Silas known as Silvanus. And so chapter 16 sets the stage for us in Acts that tells us that Paul and Silas are traveling together. So they arrive um, through Amphipolis and to Apollonia. They came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. According to Paul's customs, he, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them through the scriptures. So as he's you know, with them in the synagogue, he's, he's reasoning the scriptures. Can you only imagine what he's doing? Can you think about what he's doing in that synagogue? Guarantee you, he is pointing to Jesus Christ through all the prophecies and all of the Old Testament. So his whole purpose is the gospel. He lives and, he lives and is beaten and uh, will die for the gospel. So you know he's spending three consecutive Sabbaths reasoning Jesus Christ with these Jews to point them to the Messiah, to point them to salvation, to point them to uh, repentance of sin. And so uh, what we have here, uh, verse 3, he's explaining, right, giving evidence of Jesus Christ, uh, that he had to suffer and rise again. He's preaching the gospel to these people for three for three consecutive weeks in the Sabbath. Um, so it says some of them in verse four, some were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas with a large number of God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. So the gospel is going forward in Thessalonica. People are being convicted of their sin. They are being persuaded to the ways of the gospel. They are believing in Jesus Christ and they're now following after Jesus um, and following after, you know, Paul's leading. And we'll learn in chapter one when we really dig into chapter one uh, what that looks like. And so what we've got here is they not only were Jews persuaded, but also Gentiles were persuaded to follow after Jesus, to repent of their sin, to believe. Uh, chapter one will tell us that the gospel came with full conviction. Transformation is occurring in Acts chapter 17. But then you have verse 5. And in verse 5, it picks up and it has the word but, obviously a contrast to what has already been happening. So if the gospel's moving forward and you know 
that Jews are being transformed to Jesus Christ, their lives are being turned from the law and turned to Jesus Christ, you know what's going to happen. You know that the minute the gospel's going to go forward, that you're going to have opposition. And verse 5 says, But the Jews becoming jealous, taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. They were attacking the house of Jason. They were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the whole world have come here also. Can you imagine the Jews saying that Paul and the message of the gospels upset the world? Worldviews are changing people because it's no longer the law that you have to live by, but it is that of which you have to repent and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation and righteousness. They're turning the world upside down with these new truths that are coming out through the gospel message. Um, And so this large mob, they stir up a crowd and the city authorities who heard these things, and what they wanted to do was they wanted to kill them. But what happened was Paul and Silas escaped in the night, and they headed to Berea. And so essentially, Paul and Silas, after preaching the gospel, having people transformed by the gospel over three consecutive Sabbaths, had to get out of Dodge. The mob drove them out because of the effectiveness of the gospel. And so that's where First Thessalonians picks up. So the gospel has gone forward. Lives have been changed. People have been transformed. People are now following after Jesus Christ. They're imitating Jesus. And the gospel has done this amazing work. But the mob has driven Paul completely out of Thessalonica. So uh, just to give you a really great example, and this, this example comes from, from our, my own family's personal experience through this pandemic. So uh, on March 17th, and if you followed through the podcasts uh, through Colossians, uh, you'll, know, you'll know part of this. But on March 17th, uh, my dad, he went into uh, the hospital for an open heart surgery and had major, major complications. I mean, the doctors called us to, to come to be a part of the uh, decision of should we try one thing, and if this one thing works... Um, then it will be a long recovery. And if this one thing doesn't work, then you most likely will have to take him off life support and, and he'll pass away. So we go and do that on, on March 18th. And then around March 19th, uh, the pandemic hits. And all the hospitals and everything are on lockdown. No visits, no um, communication. And for the next five weeks, my uh, dad spent um, five straight weeks on a ventilator, on life support, and the only connection we had was through a phone call, maybe once, twice a day, to get information from the nurses about what is happening. Uh, It's such a helpless feeling. Maybe you out in podcast land 
had similar experiences. Maybe you had family members who were in a retirement home that you couldn't visit. And the only way you could get information about that individual or those people you were trying to connect with was through a messenger, was through somebody that could give you information because you couldn't communicate with them directly. And so obviously can't communicate with my father because he is on life support. He's on a ventilator, can't speak, can't communicate. He's not even awake for five weeks. He comes out of, on Easter Sunday, comes out of um, this um, ventilation and he uh, starts to wake up, but still unable to communicate. Well, the closing of this story, so I don't drag on in the whole medical thing, is yesterday, okay, so that's July 2nd, 107 days after last seeing uh, my father, my mom visited last night in person in the hospital. A one-hour visit, an opportunity to catch up and talk. Now, they had been FaceTiming and kind of very little communication back and forth for probably two or three weeks, but first time in 107 days that my parents were face to face in a room together. And I said to Jessica, my wife, last night, I said, wouldn't it be great to be a fly on the wall just to see the reactions of finally being able to come back together after 107 days? Now, let's take that to Thessalonians. Paul ripped away from these people by this angry mob. Paul is uh, not near them. He's separated from them. And you know what? He didn't really, as one of the students in, in my class yesterday said, he never really had the opportunity to fully disciple these people. He got in to preach the gospel. He, he saw their lives transform. But his work was not finished with them. Considering that when he wrote this letter, he wrote it from Corinth. And when he wrote it, he'd been in Corinth for 18 months. Can you imagine the difference in time that the amount of time and what he would be able to pour into this Corinth church in comparison to what he was able to do with the church in Thessalonica? So here he is. He's separated from this church. He's separated from these people. Chapter 1 um, tells us near... Um, verse 9, chapter 1, verse 9, tells us about how well this church received Paul and Silvanus when, when they went. And so there was this great love and admiration for this church, but they were taken apart way too soon. And so they spent so much time apart, and Paul didn't really get to know and understand what was going on. Hey, did the gospel really take root? Are their lives completely transformed? Are they growing? Are they, you know, moving towards sanctification? Are they, so many questions were happening between them that they didn't really know. And on the other end, the Thessalonian church, they had questions, they had concerns, and they had uh, difficulties where their, where their mentor, their, their teacher was not there with them for them to be able to answer them. So what Paul did was Paul sent Timothy to the church to get a report and to see how they were doing. This is not the first time that Paul has sent 
Timothy after he had been there to go and get information about the church. And so Timothy comes back to Paul, and Paul, who remained in Athens, uh, was able to get word about what was happening in the church. And so this whole letter can be broken down into two real uh, big segments, all right? So the first segment that comes for this letter is chapter 1 to chapter 3, and that is all about thanksgiving and exhortation. So it's thanksgiving and exhortation. It's really stopping, pausing, and reflecting on what the Lord has done in the life of the church, how the Lord continues to bless them in the church, and how they can continue to grow as Christians because of what Jesus has done. The second part or segment is chapter 4 and chapter 5, where it's instructions uh, concerning different topics. And so uh, when we get into those different topics, uh, we're going to see that there are some really, um, even to this day, debatable uh, topics. So we'll look at those topics as we come to them. So the big theme running through this entire letter is all about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Why is it the big theme through the whole chapter? Because if you walk through chapters 1 to 5 and do an overview, you will see that the second coming of Christ is mentioned in every chapter in First Thessalonians, uh, mentioned in chapter 1, verse 10, when it tells us that, um, you know, that we wait for the Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. Chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, for who is our hope or joy or crown in the exaltation? It is not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus at his coming. Uh, chapter 3, verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, um, for this way we say to you that the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. So what's going to happen um, with those who have died for the for the gospel uh, before the coming of the Lord. Uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, and chapter 5, 23 and 24. So chapter 5, verse 1 talks about, and verse 2 talks about the day of the Lord, uh, that second coming of Jesus. Verse 23, now may the God of peace of himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved, complete without blame, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have, through this whole thing, uh, letter, we have that it's all about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Some scholars refer to this letter and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, as the eschatological epistles. And so they have a heavy focus on the end times and on uh, the second coming of Jesus. So there are some questions that come out of chapters 1 to 5, 
and we'll look at them as we go through. But first is um, the church wants to know what will happen to those who have died for the gospel when Christ returns. So there's a couple things to think about as you work through. One question is, did those people die? Some of them die of just old age that were Christians, and now what happens to them now that they've died before Jesus returned? Or did they die as martyrs, suffering for the gospel? And now the church wants to know what happens to those who died before the return of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine being so hopeful for the return of Jesus Christ that you just became saved and you're hoping that it comes real quick and you're thinking, oh my gosh, is it maybe going to be tomorrow? But then you start to see people die for the gospel and you have questions. Well, what about those people who died already? Well, Paul's going to answer that. Uh, what happens for with non-believers? Will they be judged? What about the, the wrath of God? That's another question that will get answered. Uh, do Christians truly inherit salvation? Another question that is going to be laid out. And then Paul's going to say, here's the result that you must be holy and blameless. And so what? as we work through this, we're going to see some major things uh, covered. So here's the overall theme that we can look at, all right? And I want you to think about as we work through this over the next number of weeks that Christians, all right, here's the overall theme and kind of focus. Christians should look back on what Christ accomplished and then also be looking forward at the fulfillment of prophecy at his return. So Paul's going to walk through this letter and he's going to show them how prophecy is fulfilled through what Jesus has already done. And he's going to show them how prophecy will be fulfilled when Christ returns. So look back on the wonders of what Jesus has done as your life. Look forward at what's going to come for those who believe. All right, so just before we wrap up this uh, podcast and we really get an opportunity to start digging in within the overview, here's some red flags that we need to pay attention to. Some clear red flags that are going to come up in the scriptures and then we'll see if any of these red flags create any debate. All right, so the first red flag will be uh, the coming of God's wrath. Any questions, comments, concerns, worries, difficulties, struggles uh, about the idea of non-believers being judged and sent to um, wrath because of where they are? Well, there's a lot of topics about that right now. Um, Jesus is the Jesus of love. He's all about grace. He's all about mercy. The God of the Old Testament is all about judgment and wrath and no. There's one flowing theme all the way through Scripture. For those who repent and return, they will be righteous. They will be have eternity in heaven. For those who choose not to and deny um, Jesus Christ will face a wrath. But that's a difficult topic. That's a difficult discussion and a part of where we are in our world today. Uh, let's look at another one. The second is Christ's return. All right, so regarding Christ's return... There's a lot of um, debate about this. There's tons of debate in the church about Christ's return. All right, the, set, the third part of this 
And the third red flag is the rapture. Okay, now, hmm, any red flags in the rapture? Well, guarantee you there are flags in the rapture because for the last number of years, people have been trying to figure out when this rapture happens. The number one question I get as I travel around the country is, where do you think the rapture is going to take place? Is it pre-trib? Is it mid-trib? Has it already happened? What, what's your view of where the rapture is? This is one of the things that creates the greatest amount of debate within the church. It's the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's when the rapture will take place. And then finally, it's the time. The overall time of Christ's return. And so what will it look like? When will it happen? How will it happen? Will we as believers be taken up before seals are opened and trumpets are blaring and the whole book of Revelation? Where in the tribulation will we go? If you remember a number of years ago, you had um, the Left Behind series, which kind of was everybody's starting to build their doctrine of revelation around what Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye said in their, in their stories, in which they were writing from a view of they were going by their view. Well, what does the scripture say? Let's go back to the text. Let's look at where we're at in the time. What are the signs of the return of Jesus Christ? What does the scriptures tell us about the rapture? What does the scriptures tell us about the second coming of Jesus Christ? The most important thing, and if you have a pen with you, if you're driving, you need to make a note of this, but if you are sitting there and you are listening to this right now with a pen and paper, you need to write this down because this is going to be vital for us as we move forward. The statement that I want you to write down is, eschatology is for encouragement, not debate. So eschatology is for encouragement, not debate. And as we work through, especially when we get to chapters 4 and 5, and we start to really look at the coming of Jesus Christ and the rapture and all of this that's going on, we want to remember that eschatology is for encouragement, not debate. The greatest arguments in the church today all surround the second coming of Jesus Christ. I'm convinced it's probably one of the greatest selling Bible studies we have at Precept Ministries is the book on Revelation. Everybody wants to study Revelation. It's a fantastic study, but also everybody wants to know what Kay Arthur's belief is and what her stance is on the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ. What does the text say? That's what we're going to keep doing. We're going to keep looking back to the text concerning these four red flags. The coming wrath, Christ's return, the rapture of the church, and the timing of Christ's return. Four red flags that will come up in the text. Can't wait to dig through them. And so uh, just to wrap out this time together, when we look at chapter 1 starting next week, we're going to really look closely at the recipients of this letter. We're going to learn more about them. We know about Paul. We know that he was on fire for the gospel. He took the gospel wherever he could. And the church of Thessalonica is going to be an amazing opportunity for us to see what happens 
when the gospel truly grips you, the gospel truly transforms you, and the gospel truly moves you to go out and do something with it. Cannot wait to dig into this book with you. Cannot wait to go verse by verse through the scriptures, even if there are all those red flags. Can't wait to do it. Hope you'll continue to join us and be a part of the podcast for through the summer, listening to um, Unlocking the Truth, First Thessalonians. We'll see you next time. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you in Jesus' name. We thank you for the truth of the scriptures. We thank you for the promises that come. We thank you for the testimony of this church. We thank you for the gospel in the way that it has moved forward, that it has transformed the lives of this church. Father, I pray that as we work through this, that you would clearly speak to us. Maybe there will be things that will come up that will really rub us the wrong way. These red flags that we have that as we have some preconceived beliefs when it comes to the rapture and the second coming of your son, Jesus Christ. May the scriptures wash over us. May they help form and shape our belief system to help us better understand who you are. Father, help us to remember that eschatology is for encouragement. The whole purpose of seeing when you are returning is to be ready for your return. It's not about debating it and arguing it and getting into kind of all these disagreements over when it's going to happen, but it's about being ready and being alert for your return. So Father, help us, prepare us, get us ready to dig in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Preset Ministries, head to our website at www.presetministries.ca.